righty. It's been a great week, great weekend. I did two weddings, two days in a row. Here's a real testimony. I married a couple many years ago. I didn't mean to go into this, but I'm going to go into this. Because I married a couple many years ago, and they ended up getting divorced. And for years, they were divorced. But Friday, I remarried them. And it was really something. It was a real healing of God. And they thought they had no hope, but they found hope in Jesus, and he did a miracle. Now, we all need hope. We all need hope. Hope is the oxygen of the soul. You really can't live without it. Well, you can exist without it, but you can't live without it. Hope is the reason you get up in the morning with a skip in your step instead of dragging your feet. It's the reason you say amen instead of oh me when the alarm goes off. Hope gives us a reason to live, a reason to go on. It is where we get meaning. And unfortunately, right now, we're living in, in, in a largely a hopeless world, rocked and, and, and attacked and by terrorism and in travail. And so many people in our world don't see hope right now. They're not filled with hope. They are not hopeful. They are hopeless. But I want you to know that the God that we worship and the God that sent Jesus is, is the literal author of hope. It's the, he's the author of hope. Now, I want to just make a distinction between regular hope and Bible hope. Because all the time, we use the word hope. We use hope like this. I hope I don't have to go to work tomorrow. How many of you said that recently? Look at that. And, and when you do that, what is it? It's kind of wishful thinking. I, I, I hope I don't have to go to work tomorrow. So that kind of hope is, is sort of wishful thinking. It's, it's kind of watered down. It, it's not real super solid, more like a wish. I hope I can make it to the store. I, I hope I don't get stuck in the rain. We use that, that form of hope all the time. But Bible hope, that is not Bible hope. Bible hope is a much stronger word. Bible hope means this. Let me give you a good definition, and I'm going to say it twice so we get it. Bible hope is a confident expectation that good is coming in the future based on the promises of God. Now, let me say it again. You wake up with a confident expectation. We might say you're pregnant with hope. You're expectant. You are expectant. You wake up and you say, I, am, I have a confident expectation that good is coming in my future based on the promises of God. That's Bible hope. The Bible says of Bible hope. It says in Romans 5, 5 that hope will not lead to disappointment. When you are hoping in what the Bible says to hope in, when your hope is in the promises of God, that kind of hope will not let you down. It will not disappoint. You will not regret putting your hope in the promises of God. Bible hope is fuel for optimism, and it is the killer of pessimism. If you're a pessimist and nothing looks good to you, nothing, everything is negative and down and you're a downer to be around and everybody sees you coming and they run. You're a downer, down about life, down about this and that. Let me tell you, get into the Bible because faith comes by hearing the word of God and faith and hope are twins. If you have faith, you have hope. If you don't have faith, you don't have hope. Hebrews 6 tells us that 
Bible hope is literally an anchor for our soul. I want you to look at this verse in Hebrews. Therefore, he says, we who have fled to him, that is Jesus Christ, for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope. Can you say with me, hold to the hope? So here we are. We got a tight grip on hope in this verse. We hold to the hope that lies before us. And then verse 19, read it out loud with me like you're the one preaching. Are you ready? This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. That's Bible hope. We've all seen the movies where there's this great big ship that's in a harbor, and it might be a pirate ship or the old-timey ships with the sails and these great big vessels that sailed across the ocean. And you see them in these movies in the harbor, and a storm is coming. And and, and the, the captain is kind of freaked out about the storm because the storm might blow them out to sea where they're lost, or it might blow them into the rocks where they are shattered and dashed against the rocks and killed. So what does he say? You hear the captain crying out, let down the anchor. And then in the movie, unless it's a horror movie, but usually in the movie, uh, as the storm rages, and as Jesus described the storm, he said, the rains fall, the wind blows, and the floods beat against that ship. Even though it is rocked, and even though it is rolled, and even though it is in a storm, when the storm passes, it's still right where it was, steadfast, still standing, because it had an anchor, it had an anchor that was let down, that held it while the storm blew. Christmas hope, Christian hope, is that kind of anchor. It's an anchor for the soul. It holds you when the winds blow. It keeps you in one place when the floods come. It, 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 you're still standing after the rains have fallen because your soul had an anchor and the anchor was hope and the hope was in Christ. That's Christmas. Christmas hope is all about our hope in Jesus and that hope in him is the anchor that keeps us steady and unmovable in the storms of life. And you know what? That hope is going to escort us into the heavenly harbor on the shores of glory As surely as we're standing here today, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have one destination, and that's heaven. And our hope for that event and for that reality is an anchor for our soul. Everybody say with me, hope is important. What you hope in. And and, and here's what I want to communicate to you today. There's really two kinds of hope. There is true hope, and there's false hope. There's hope that is based on something real, and there's hope that is based on something that is not real. There is hope that will hold true, and there is hope that will leave you disappointed and shattered and disillusioned, wishing you hadn't hoped in what you hoped in. There's two kinds of hope. I read recently of a group of kids, a group of boys, they were going out onto an icy pond. And uh, they concluded that that ice was thick enough because it was cold enough to hold them up. So one of them went ahead of the group. He said, I'll go. He went ahead of the group and walked out towards the middle of the pound. And you know what happened. He got out towards the middle of the pond and a cracking sound was heard. And all of a sudden, this boy just fell in. What he was hoping in failed him. 
And thankfully, his friends sort of formed a chain and they got right to him and they pulled him up out before he drowned. But my idea and my point is this, that so many times in life, we put our hope in something that when you get out in the middle of life or you come to the end of life, what you were hoping in, you hear a cracking noise. You hear, you hear something Something is up. Something is afoot. I'm in trouble because what I was hoping and what I thought would hold me up. And suddenly Jesus said, he that hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, I will liken him unto a foolish man that built his house on sand. And the winds blew and the rain fell and the floods came and beat against that house. And it says it fell. The ice gave way. And Jesus said, great was the fall of it. What happened to that person? He put his hope in some philosophy, some worldview, some person, some place, something that wasn't Jesus. And what he was hoping in failed him. It happens to people all the time. It happens to people all the time. I mean, you, you can pick up the paper any given day and you will find stories. You will find the story of somebody who might be well-known. They may be famous. They may have money just galore. They, they, they may have all kinds of material possessions. They may have fame, fortune. It may, it may be said of them, you know, they just had the golden touch, but they reach a place in their life where suddenly you read they committed suicide or their family fell apart, or they lost everything that they had and what they were hoping in, what they had placed all their hope in, a cracking sound was suddenly heard, and down they went because their hope was in something false. Now, you might remember the television commercial. I do. I don't watch much TV anymore. Well, I watch Forensic Files. And I watch Dateline ID because I love watching people get busted. I like watching people get theirs. And it's amazing to me how they, well, anyway, don't let me go on to that. But, but back when I kind of was watching more network TV, um, I remember these commercials. And, and you remember these commercials. It, it was for a, a, a men's clothing store called Men's Warehouse. You remember that? And, and, and the founder of it and the guy that was always on the TV as the, as the, the camera, the one on camera was named George Zimmer. And he was the founder of Men's Warehouse. Still around. Some of you are wearing something from Men's Warehouse today. And George Zimmer, I want a free suit for this plug. This is going all over the United States. But he was always the one. He, he'd hold up a suit and he'd say, look at this thing. And he'd, 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 he'd show the suit. And then he'd say, it's this much money. And, and, and so you're sitting there going, well, that's a pretty cheap suit. And then, and then he would always end his commercials this way. I guarantee it. You remember that? I guarantee it. I got to where I could hit mute before he said it. <laughs> I guarantee it. Now, now listen carefully what I'm going to tell you. George Zimmer was the guarantor of the guarantee that you would like the suits in men's warehouse. You've got a guarantor. Everybody say with me, guarantor. guarantor. Of a guarantee. So you've got a guarantee made by a guarantor. The guarantor is the one who guarantees the guarantee. 
We're getting some legalese here today, okay? Now, follow me because here's George Zimmer. He's on there, and he's saying, I guarantee you're going to like the suit like I'm telling you you're going to like it. And when he did that, he made himself the guarantor of men's warehouse and the product of men's warehouse. He made himself the guarantor of the promise. He made himself the guarantor of the promise. I promise you, you're going to like the suits. I guarantee it. So you got a guarantor and a guarantee. Now, here, here's the reality. The guarantee is only as trustworthy as the word of the guarantor. If you find out the guarantor is a liar, if you find out that he's a con artist, if you found out that the guarantor has done all this before and, and took people's money and went on down the road and is doing it again, you, the last place you're going is men's warehouse for a suit. Because you're going to base whether or not you go and take advantage of the guarantee on the solidity and the character of the guarantor. I'm going somewhere with this. If you trusted George Zimmer's word then you felt confident buying George Zimmer's product. Guess what? It wasn't Men's Warehouse that you trusted. It was the man behind Men's Warehouse, George Zimmer. Men's Warehouse was only as good as George Zimmer's word. To trust George Zimmer was to trust Men's Warehouse. If you didn't trust George Zimmer, you're not going to Men's Warehouse. Now watch. Here's where I'm going. We celebrate Christmas and all that it stands for. It stands for God sending a Savior, God sending a Redeemer, God incarnating in the person of Jesus. We celebrate Christmas and we trust the message of Christmas because we trust the guarantor behind it, who happens to be God. Now, let me tell you something. You can trust God more than you can trust George Zimmer. You can trust God more than you can trust Chevy's warranties or Ford's warranties, or Toyota's warranties, or Walmart's product. By the way, you didn't go to Walmart, you went to Walmart. You didn't go to Target, you went to Target. You didn't get that. Never mind. Because somebody had some great-looking shoes on this week, and I said, where'd you get those shoes? And they said, Walmart, like they were embarrassed. And I said, no, 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 you got that at Walmart. And they really were great shoes. That's two plugs. George, I want to hear from you and also Walmart. Now, follow me. God, the creator of the world, the one who flung the stars into space, the one who carved out the Grand Canyon, the one who, as the poet said, spat out the oceans, that God, creator God, promised a savior who is Christ the Lord. And just like the kids on the ice who found out that their hope was false, if you put your hope in him, you will find that the hope is well-founded on a totally dependable guarantor. Don't put your hope in anything that is false. We do it all the time, just like those kids on the ice. You place your hope in a person or a place or a thing. We put our hope in people. Do you know that half our nation is furious today because they put their hope in someone? I'm not going political. Don't laugh on me. I'm just telling you. 
But do you know that the Bible warns, don't put your hope in people. Now, I trust people. I'm, I have people who I trust. But I know very well that, he, that, that even they could, in the worst of situations, somehow, some way, might could disappoint me. People will disappoint you. David prayed this prayer. He said, oh, please help us against our enemies, God, for all human help is useless. That's Psalms 108, verse 12. Now, either he's a terrible cynic or what he said is true. When Paul the Apostle was brought before Caesar to testify for Jesus Christ, do you know that not one of his converts in all of Asia came and stood in solidarity with him? Not one Christian that he had led to Christ, his sons and daughters in the faith, not one of them came and stood with him because they were all afraid. Paul said, the first time I was brought before the judge, that means Caesar, no one came with me. Everyone abandoned me. May it not be counted against them. What was he saying? He said, in my hour of need, people failed me. People are going to fail you all the time. That's why you got to be a good forgiver because people are going to fail you all the time. And you know what? You're going to fail people. If I had asked for a raise of hands for all of you that have been failed or disappointed this week by somebody, I think most of you would raise your hand. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon said, trust in God alone and lean not on the reeds of human help. So you can put all your hope on the thin ice of people, but they'll fail you. You're a hero one day, a zero the next. They'll pat you on the back one day, stab you on the back the next. So don't put all your hope in men, and you can also place your hope in a religion or a philosophy, a worldview, or a belief system that promises to take care of your eternal soul, and here's where it gets dicey, because when you're talking about your eternal soul, oh, you've got to be so careful, so selective, so thoughtful about what you put your hope in. You know why? Because your soul is eternal. You have residing in you an eternal soul. It is you. It is what comprises you. Suke is the Greek word. It means your mind, your will, and your emotions. It is you. It is what comprises you. And you also have a spirit, pneuma, a spirit. And that spirit goes on forever. When your body dies, you don't. You just transition. Now, Jesus said that soul is more important than silver and gold. There's nothing more valuable than your soul, nothing. Your soul, he said, what does it profit you if you gain the whole world? If, if you're, you know, if you're, if you've got all, if you're a sheik and you've got oil money, you've got billions and billions of dollars. He said, what does that profit you if you lose your soul? Because you're not taking any of that with you. I have never seen a U-Haul at a funeral. You're not taking any of it with you. Nothing, nothing is going to go with you. Naked into the world, you came naked, you're going out. Your soul will enter eternity. And Jesus said, Jesus said, what you trust it to and what you place your hope in is everything. That's why he said, I'm the way, 
I'm the truth and I'm the life. And you won't get to the Father but through me. Jesus was very unpolitically correct. He was very exclusive, very narrow, very specific about what to put your hope in. He didn't say, take your pick, there's a million possibilities. He said, there's only one. A lot of people don't understand that about Jesus. I was talking to a Jewish man last week who I met for lunch. Precious man, I love him. But he's agnostic. And I was talking to him about, of course, Jesus and God and evolution and DNA sequencing and all these things that he threw at me because he's a doctor. And he's, he's brilliant. And I was talking to him about how I did not believe for a second in evolution, which is a religion, evolution. Because it's never been proven. You either believe in it or you don't. If you think it's been proven, you're, you're wrong. It hasn't. And I talked to him about this. I, th- I said, I think evolution is a farce. I believe in natural selection, but not evolution. Because that means something came from nothing and something can't come from nothing. And nor do, does one species give birth to another species. A dog will never give birth or, or evolve into a bird. It, it doesn't happen. <clears throat> so we're talking. And he said, well, now I'm quoting him. He said, well, if, if life's a crapshoot and I wake up and, and God is really there, I'm going to be pleasantly surprised. And I leaned over and I grabbed his arm and I said, listen, you may be surprised, but maybe not pleasantly. (laughs) Which is true. Oh, I think there's going to be a lot of people surprised. Oh, my Lord, it's true. But do you think they're going to be going, all right, I was wrong the whole time? No. And I love this guy. I really do. And we're not done talking. But there's a million options floating around about philosophies that promise peace, beliefs that guarantee satisfaction, religions that promise heaven and eternal bliss. But see, here's what you got to do. You got to look behind them and see who the guarantor is. You got to see who the guarantor is. Because everything that's being offered you has a guarantor who's either false or true, wrong or right, deceitful or honest. Is it just another man promising you this? Or is it your own mind telling you to trust this or that? When it comes to your eternal soul, you can't afford a good guess or a hasty decision. Because what you're placing your hope in regarding your soul has eternal consequences. What faith, what beliefs, what person, what thing are you trusting in today for the day you die? Who's the guarantor behind it? I hold that thought. Let me show you something real quick. With Christmas, God gave us a guarantee with an incredible guarantor. The Bible says that people from all over the whole world, as we read, will place their hope in Jesus Christ because of two things. One, a promise. Everybody say a promise. There was a promise. And the promise was first made in Genesis 3.15. I consider Genesis 3.15 the Old Testament John 3.16. Because here's Genesis 3.15. Here's the promise. And he's talking to the devil. God's talking to Satan here. 
after the fall, and he's judging him for his part in the fall. And he says to Satan, I will cause hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. This is the first Bible prophecy. This. Now notice how uncanny. How uncanny is this? All the way back in Genesis, God tells Satan, I'm going to send a man and he's going to fight you. He's going to battle you. And you, Satan, are going to strike his heel. And what do they put through Jesus' heel? A cross. I mean, a spike. A spike went through his heel. So this is a prophecy. This is the first Bible prophecy, Genesis 3.15. And it was fulfilled when Jesus was born in Bethlehem on the first Christmas morn. So this is all about Christmas. When Christmas happened and the babe was born in Bethlehem and it was God in flesh, he was God in flesh, that was the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15. And this incredible verse is just loaded with promises. God's plan would be centered on a specific person. Two, that person would be a man. He, he will bruise the devil's head, crush the devil's head, actually. Three, he would enter the human race by being born of a woman. God would be born through a woman. Four, he would do battle with Satan. Five, Satan would strike a blow against him but would not defeat him. He hung him on the cross, but Jesus got up again. And then it says he would ultimately crush Satan and his power. That's all in Genesis 3.15. But God went further than just a promise, and he made an oath. And this is where he became the guarantor of the guarantee of a Savior. Listen to Hebrews. I'm starting, quote, for instance, the writer says, there was God's promise. So there's the promise to Abraham also after he told the devil this. But later in Genesis 12, he told Abraham, he gave him a promise that all the earth would be blessed through him by the coming of a Savior through his lineage. God took an oath. So there was a promise first, and then there's an oath. God took an oath in his own name, since there was no one greater to swear by. You've heard somebody say, on my mother's grave, I'm telling you. Or God strike me dead, I'm telling you. You better watch what you say. We're making an oath. What we're doing is we're, we're, we're swearing by something we consider greater than us. But God looked around and said, I can't make an oath on anybody greater than me because I'm greater than anything else. So, so I am swearing by myself, making an oath based on my own character. Verse 16, when a man takes an oath, he's calling upon someone greater than himself to force him to do what he has promised or punish him if he later doesn't do what he promised. And the oath ends all argument about it. Verse 17, God also bound himself. Everybody say bound himself with an oath so that those he promised to help would be perfectly sure and never need to wonder whether he might change his plans. He said, way back in Genesis, I'm going to send a Savior, and I'm, and I'm telling you, uh, I swear by myself, therefore, I am the guarantor of the guarantee. And you can't get a better guarantor than God. 
He's given us both his promise and his oath, two things we can completely count on, for it is impossible for God to tell a lie. So God made a promise and an oath, making himself the guarantor of our hope in Jesus Christ. So verse 18 says, Therefore, we who have fled to Jesus for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope set before us because behind the hope is a God who cannot lie, who is the ultimate guarantor of the guarantee. Bottom line, God made a promise and he gave us a guarantee. Whoever places their faith in his son, Jesus Christ, would be saved and delivered from the power and consequence of sin. And then he made an oath, making himself the guarantor of the guarantee. So the Christian's hope will never leave him disappointed. Folks, we're standing on solid rock, not shifting sand. The ice of this hope is never going to crack under us. We're never going down. We're never going to be disappointed. We're never going to wake up and say, I wish I hadn't trusted in Jesus because he let me down. No, no. The guarantor of the guarantee said he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He'll never walk out on you. When everybody else walks out, he walks in. He will see you through this to the end, to the end of the world. And when you die, when your body stops, he will take you into glory, and that is the hope that is set before us. And the same one said, one day I'm coming back. He said, I'm coming back. And he said, he said you can count on it because of the guarantor who sent me. And the guarantor who gave you the guarantee of me told me to tell you, I'm coming back. The trumpet is going to blow and the dead in Christ are going to rise first. And those who remain and are alive shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's the guarantee made by the guarantor. Amen. So let me ask you again. Can we stand together? Let me ask you again. Listen carefully to me, friend. Forget about everybody in here. Just pretend it's you and me. We're just talking, okay? What is your hope resting in today? You know, Jeff, I haven't really thought about it. Think about it. If on the way home today, God forbid, you were in a wreck and you didn't make it, and immediately you're facing God, he doesn't want to know what your degree was. He's not concerned about who you married. He doesn't care if you're black, white, yellow, red, rich, poor. He wants to know one thing. What did you do with Jesus? Did you put your hope in him? My hope is in him today. By the grace of God, I am what I am. I'm going to ask us to bow for a moment.